by reading chapter 1 in just a moment. I've got a couple of questions, but please let me first say, I've known Kyle since he was that big, maybe even a little younger. Either way, just about like that. He looked almost exactly like that at the time. Wow. Uh, my brother preached to the congregation where his mom and dad went, and so I was familiar with them. And I also know a knucklehead who used to preach here named David Price. Back in the old days, when I was preaching in Bloomfield, I think David was here, and that may have been the last time I was up here visiting with you, brethren, and I apologize. It's been way too long. So I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation to come. I am eager to get going and talking about this, and I'll just go ahead and tell you what I'm going to try to do from James 1 to James 5, took me 14 lessons to do at Expressway. I'm going to try to do it in five, so we better get started. All right, let me ask you a question. Maturity. How can you tell somebody's mature? Can you tell by the fact that they're old? Does that mean they're mature? We even have a phrase for that. There's no fool like an old fool. That's right. <clears throat> So that means it doesn't automatically happen just because you get older. Now, it will be more on the average. If you're older, you'll typically be a wiser person. You'll be more mature. You'll certainly usually be more mature than you used to be. Whether you're as mature as you need to be, I don't know. But your appearance, can you tell by looking at somebody that they're mature? You really can't. Now, you can sometimes tell that somebody's immature based on the way they look. They're not thinking like a mature person. But you really can't tell just by what somebody looks like because people can parrot and mimic all kinds of things. And just because they look like they might be mature doesn't mean they are. Can you tell that someone's mature because of their achievements? That they've accomplished a lot and it just looks really good? Doesn't, doesn't guarantee anything, does it? So what we want to see is that James is trying to communicate to us. And he'll say it really early on. He'll say it later. And he'll say it about a half a dozen different ways. What God wants from all of us is maturity. Does he want perfection? Your New Testament may say perfect in some places where it should actually say mature. Perfection, the way we think of it, means what? What is, when we say perfect, the way we say it in a modern American sense, what do we mean when we say perfect? No flaws, no no mistakes, spotless, unmistaken, completely right. Is that going to happen for any of us? Oh, I'm so glad that you all are on the same page with that. Every once in a while you run into somebody who's like, I think it's possible. I'm like, I can't help you. I, there's nothing I can do for you if that's the way you feel. But I know I'm not. And I know I'm not going to be. But I do know that with the help of God, I can get better. And I don't mean just year after year. I mean day after day. Little by little, the little changes that I enact can make me better. And what is the real benefit of my maturity? What's the real benefit of my getting better day after day? What's the real benefit of that? I draw closer to God, but what does God get out of it? I mean, does He need me? But if I get more mature, what does He get out of me? What is it that Peter says that he brought us out of darkness into the kingdom of light and the kingdom of his son so that we might proclaim the praises of him who did that, that we might glorify him, that through our abilities, through our different changes, people start seeing what God is capable of, what God can do and how good he is. 
Now, if I am not maturing and I call myself a Christian, what does that tell people about God? What is the message that people get from that? And this is where the word hypocrite usually comes in, right? What do people take from that? When they see someone who is a Christian, they say they're a Christian, they go to church, but they don't behave very well and they are not mature. What does that say to them? Sometimes it says, you're not practicing what you're preaching. But you know what it says to some people? And it's wrong. It's the wrong message. It says that this Christianity stuff doesn't work. It says God doesn't know what He's doing. There's no such thing as God. If there was a God, He'd shut your mouth. He'd he'd stop you dead in your tracks. You would not be claiming to be something that you're not if there really was a God. And so what I don't want is to give people the wrong idea. That God doesn't work. That these things aren't uh, powerful. So I've got to make sure that I'm adapting, I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm doing a little here, a little there, and I'm pursuing that day after day after day, just trying to get better. Very few places where there's so much packed in so tightly for that purpose as the book of James. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at all of this, and we're going to see that maturity is basically these large concepts. And we're going to boil it down into some specific things. But maturity means that I'm going to remain positive. I've got a forward-looking view, and I am in submission to God because I want to do what He wants. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, I'm sensitive to other people because I know that they need stuff from God, and that means, since I'm one of God's children, they're going to need stuff from me. How do I treat other people, and how do I view them? Thirdly, I'm going to have to get a hold of my mouth. It is the primary means of communication of who I am, what my character is, and what I know about God and how I can glorify Him. That is going to be the primary way that's going to happen through the things that I say. Also, being a peacemaker and not a troublemaker, that is going to be a powerful mark of maturity, that I've decided I'm going to be a peace factory. I'm going to make peace where there wasn't peace before. I'm going to bring order where there used to be chaos. I'm going to do that because that's what God does. And being a prayerful and patient person, chapter 5 We'll show that to us. And so that's kind of a preview of some of the stuff we're going to do. So first of all, what we need to do is we need to see what chapter one's about. Okay? Now, I know chapter one is structured differently than we're going to be going over it, but I'm going to read all of chapter one right now, and then we're going to break it down. We're going to kind of start at the end and loop our way back around to the beginning, and you'll you'll see why in just a moment. Okay? So chapter one, book of James, verse one. James bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field... He will pass away. For no sooner is the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls. Its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man 
who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, Slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away immediately, forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious, doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Okay, so... What I want to do is show you that all throughout this, but primarily from about verse 16 onward, he's telling us the key to all this maturity business. Every bit of it is rooted in the acceptance of the blessing of God's Word. You have got to look at it. And so he begins very early on talking about wisdom. If you lack wisdom, where do you get it? From God. And how does he give it? Yeah. And how much of it does he In what fashion does he give? Just buckets. I mean, he just, he just pours it on you. If you don't have it and you ask for it, God will give you that wisdom. You go down a little further and he talks about, it's very interesting, James talks about the flower of the grass. Somebody else talks about that in the New Testament. You know who that is? Jesus does. Peter does. Peter talks about it. And how does Peter talk about it? He talks about the Word of God is going to endure and abide forever. It's not like the flower of the grass that burns up and it fades away. So that's interesting. He talks about that. And then you get down here when he says every good gift, every perfect gift is from where? Verse 17. From the Father. It's from up above. Then he says, how did he bring us forth? Verse 18. What did he use to bring us forth, to bring us into existence, to make us born again? The word of his truth. And you get down here a little bit further in verse 21. What's able to save us if we accept it? The implanted word. And he says in verse 22, we're supposed to be doers of the word. And he says, if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, that's not right. Verse 25, what does he refer to the word as there? The perfect law of liberty. So one of the first things we need to see is that God intends for us to be blessed by the Bible. That means you've got to tune into the right frequency. There are so many signals. It's just like in your car. You can take that dial, the one on the right. You know, the one on the left turns it up and turns it down. 
the one on the right, or now it's all buttons, I guess. It's all buttons. But what did that other button used to do, that other knob? Change stations. You could pick from between AM and FM, I mean hundreds of different choices. And as you go across the country, you can get one station that you couldn't get at this place. Boy, you got to be on the ball, right? you got to really be on. Nowadays, we're looking for satellites and trying to find the signals from those. But you still have to dial into that frequency if you want to hear what it is. And what God says is, I need you to dial into my frequency. We need to let God broadcast into our lives. That means you have to be open to this. You've got to be listening for Him to speak into your life in order to receive the implanted Word. So, I want to ask you all if you've experienced the same thing I have. I've been preaching at the same place for almost 18 years now. I've been preaching in general for at least 25 or something like that. It's a quarter of a century. Um, I have been in rooms like this, different dozens of different rooms like this. Preach a lesson, just the one lesson. And notice, one person, it hits them, lands, they are moved, they're changed, they're altered, they repent, they behave differently. It's from then on, they just become a different person. I noticed that this person across the aisle from them, no, no offense to you, brother, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on you. But the person on the other side of the aisle or person who's sitting in the back, they hear the exact same lesson. Am I right about this? Same lesson, same text. Nothing has changed about the externalities of that. And that person doesn't get nothing out of that lesson. Have you noticed that that's true? So is it the word? Is it the beginning? Is it the origin? What is it? It's the heart. And Jesus describes that as soil. You get to decide what kind of soil you're going to be. And he says you have to receive the implanted word. That means you've got to be ready to hear it and get your mind in a place where I've come with this purpose. Now, you may have come for lots of reasons today. You may have come for different reasons than other people have come. Some people come because mom and daddy brought them to church. And that's what the options were. I had a drug problem when I was a kid. Did any of you all have the same drug problem that I had? My mom and dad drugged me to every church service there was. Every time the doors were open, I got drugged to church. I mean, it was every time the doors were open. So I'm really glad I never got over it. It's really good for me. But some people can't wait for the day that they get to decide because they're not going to be dragged to church anymore. So what is it that brought you are you here instead of a Baptist church because Church of Christ was what you were raised to believe? Or is it your conviction that the truth is being taught? What is it that moves and motivates you, drives you, gets you going? What is it that gets everything on track? Am I keeping the law of God? Because I know there was a lady, when I first started preaching, Amy went, went with me to this one place. We had Bible class first like we are here. And uh, we went to lunch with one of the, the older ladies there. And she said, I'm so glad that I go to Bible class because I know uh, God has marked my name on the, on the roster. And I kind of chuckled. Uh, and she looked real serious. She, it wasn't, she wasn't kidding. I said, you mean like there's a role? He goes, she goes, yeah, I get credit. 
<laughs> I was like, is that right? You get, you get credit. I don't go to Bible study to get credit. I hope, you, I hope that's not what you came today, to get credit so that God sees you. I hope what you came for is for the very purpose that I left Louisville to come here this morning. I intend not to inform you. I intend to change you. I intend through the application of the word to make you a little better than when I got here. Not because of me, but because of what God can do. Because through the implanted word, we can be saved. Does everybody understand that? But you got to tune into the right frequency. And he says some things here that's going to be very helpful. Receiving the implanted word. It's very important that we get our hearing aids. You've got to have something that's going to help you. And here are some of the things he says. Uh, You've got to be quick to hear. That means I came with an, with an ear open. And you, you say to yourself, well, I, James 1. I've heard sermons on James 1 and classes on James 1. I know what he's going to preach about. And so you already got it figured out. You don't really need to be sitting here because you know what I'm going to talk about, right? That's the wrong ear. That's the wrong listening that we, we do. We presume and we assume and we get preloaded with all kinds of preconceived notions and we end up missing something because we're not listening the way God wants us to listen. I try really hard to hear every passage like it's the first time I've ever heard it because I know God's trying to do stuff to me. God, He's got His work cut out with me. He really does. I'm a, I'm a piece of work. And, and I know God has got His hands full trying to move me off of the old ideas and change the way I think. He's really got His hands full. That means... Every time I go, I've got to think to myself, well, I know I'm the guy who likes to talk a lot, but it's time for me to be the listener. It's time for me to be the listener. I'm quick to hear. And if I'm quick to hear, what must I automatically be? If I'm going to be quick to hear, I have to be slow to speak. uh, And that is... For some reason, I've heard this all my life, over and over again, from many different people in all the different places I've lived. That's why God gives you one mouth and two ears. I don't know why people keep telling me that, but does that make sense to you all? That's the equation? There's two ears. Why? Why one mouth, two ears? Because you're supposed to do twice as much listening. Then, he says, the other hearing aid here in verse 19 is not only do you need to be slow to speak, you need to be slow to anger. Okay, this one's tough. We have buttons that people can push. And if you're married, I don't have to explain that to you. The person who knows you best knows where your buttons are. And they love you well enough not to push them all the time. But sometimes things get a little warm and you know exactly what button to push. You get that reaction. We as people have rationalized the ability to stay angry about stuff by saying... Ephesians 4 tells us to be anger, angry without sin. As long as my anger is without sin, it's okay for me to be anger. And so I'm going to cherish my anger. I'm going to have my little angry chair. And I'm going to sit here and my righteous indignation will keep me warm at night as I isolate and alienate people from myself. And I am real quick to get upset If a preacher says something that I don't like, buddy, he's going to hear it from me. Have you ever met anybody like that? My brother uh, preached in Alabama. 
And after a sermon where he says, God needs to get all of our devotion. And if, if the brethren were as devoted about God as they were about Alabama football, the church would be bursting at the seams. And a guy comes out and pokes him in the chest like that and says, you need to remember where your paycheck comes from, buddy. You can't hear what God's trying to tell you if you come into a building angry all the time, ready to get upset. I'm just waiting for somebody to say the wrong word. I'm waiting, as the snowflakes say nowadays, to be triggered. I just know somebody's going to say something that's going to upset me, and I can't wait. There was a lady that I made the mistake after we'd been expressway a couple years. I made the mistake of introducing myself to this lady, and she was like, I have been a member here for several years. And all I could think at that moment, I was trying to be polite, trying to be really nice, and all I could think was, I've been here for two years, lady. How have I missed you? There ain't but about 180 of us here. If I've introduced myself to you twice, do you know what that means? As it turns out, you go look at her attendance chart, you can see she's only there on Sunday morning. She's not there for Bible class. She's only there for Sunday morning. She doesn't even come for Bible class. She didn't come on Wednesday night. You don't see her during gospel meetings. If that happens to you, and let me tell you, there's very little more satisfying to my sense of sarcasm and snarkiness than to find out that lady's had that done to her about a dozen times. Many members of the church have introduced themselves to her after years of her being there. She just couldn't wait to be offended. Just couldn't wait. If you come and sit down in a place harboring grudges and and thinking those kinds of things and being hypersensitive to criticism and just knowing somebody's going to say something and buddy, they're going to touch you off and I just can't wait. I'm just brewing for a fight. Do you know how much stuff you're going to miss? Do you know how much much of God's word is going to just fly right past you because that's not what you're expecting to hear? And the moment somebody says something you think applies to you and it shouldn't have landed and you, you should have personal... How many people... Kyle, how many times has this happened to you? Where people say, you follow me around this week, weren't you? Well, you preach on something and someone says, were you, just, were you following me? Is there a camera that goes to your house from my house? Boy, I really need to hear that. And likewise, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, you just shouldn't talk about this, this personal thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you just told on yourself. I, I didn't know that was going on. I preached on something that was going on in your life. There's an old brother where I grew up. He was from Alabama too. And he would talk about preaching and he'd, he'd get out of breath. He was one of these guys. He was kind of big fella and he'd get excited and he'd keep talking even after he run out of air. And he'd just keep on talking without any air and he turned purple and we just like, he's going to pass out any minute now. <laughs> but he used to say all the time about preaching, the hit dog howls. Do you know what that means? I see some confused looks. Some, some brothers grew up where they knew. Okay, dogs travel in packs when they're out in neighborhoods or out in rural areas. They travel in packs. They're, the dog is like a wolf. They're a pack animal. And if they're getting in your trash or doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing, they run in this pack, you got to break that group up. And so you'll pitch a brick or a rock. You'll throw a rock at a group of dogs. And when you throw a rock at six or seven dogs... You're going to hear, 
You know why? Because the hit dog howls. When a brother stands in this pulpit or standing down here on this floor and he pitches something out into this audience that is from God's Word, the hit dog will howl. Sometimes giving away things about himself or herself that they did not mean to give away because that preacher didn't know. I can tell you, Kyle hadn't told me a thing about you folks that wasn't just nice. So I don't know any dirt. I don't know any trouble. If I hit you this week, these next few days, that's the providence of God, friend. That is not Kyle. That's not Phil. That's God working on all of us. He also says, it's time to lay aside filthiness. If you try to keep worshiping God, harboring secret sins, things that you're doing in secret that you think are uh, missed by everybody else, you, you've forgotten the one person you need to impress, the one person who knows everything about you that you're trying to approach. You cannot pretend like everything is okay with you and God and come to the house of worship and continue to pour your heart out to Him when you're holding on to a sin that you will not let go of, whether it's pornography or an adulterous affair, or a bad language, or a drinking problem, or drug addiction, or whatever it is. got to lay aside the filthiness of the flesh. If you want to hear, if you want to tune into the frequency of God, you've got to be willing to let go of anything that isn't Him. Forsake all that you have and cling only to Him. And He says you've got to receive the word meekly. Does everybody understand what meekness is? Meekness is not... Rhymes with it. It's not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It's a horse that's been broken, not a horse that's been weakened. It's a guy who can bend steel bars around his neck and also can hold an egg without crushing it. You know what I mean? It's, it's that kind of control. And he says, the attitude that you have when you're listening to God and you're listening to His things, that you're going to be able to humbly accept what God has to say. So... That means when you come into an assembly, when you start doing your daily Bible reading, that you tell God, maybe out loud, maybe specifically, maybe in a prayer, but you certainly tell Him through your demeanor and your attitude, I'm here for you to get at me. I'm open. I don't know what I need to do exactly. I'm not exactly sure what needs to happen today, but I know you do, and I'm willing to let you make of me what you will. I will be the clay. I'll let you be the potter. That is to receive with meekness the implanted word that I've come for the the prospect of being changed. So I'm going to ask you a real personal question since it's just us, our special fraternity of Bible study goers. Did you... Or are you, maybe are you is a better question, are you willing to be changed by our study today? Are you willing to let it change you? Or do you think you already know everything you need to know about God's Word and you're just here as a perfunctory practice of your prospective whatever? (laughs) This brother brother goes, the other one. (laughs) He goes, check, yeah. Yeah. Are you here to check a, a box? Are you here to let God check you out? It's a checkup. You've come to the great physician's office today. And he's going to work on you if you let him. But you have to let him. So it's not enough that we hear it, that we receive it. We've got to reflect on it. He uses the word mirror here. Do you see this part? 
We're talking about the mirror. That the, the Word of God is like that. It shows you what you really need to know. And I tell people all the time, you know, someone would say something about, I'm, I was nice to them and then I might be critical. And they're like, well, you two-faced. I'm like, if I had two faces, would I use this one all the time? There's no way. I know exactly what I look like. And I'll make a joke about being fat. I go, oh, you're not fat. I'm like, I got mirrors. I got one right there. I get out of the shower. I see, I see everything. It doesn't do any good for you to tell me I'm not fat. I know I'm fat. I'm aware of that. I know there's gray hair showing up right here. I know it. And before anybody asks, I've never colored my hair. I'm not going to color my hair. I have never colored it. It's dark and people accuse me of using shoe shine to do that. But anyway, he says, you got to look at it. you got to re- reflect. <clears throat> I always recommend to people when you start talking about doing your Bible study, I recommend a method that I call 50-50. If you're going to set aside a half an hour of your day for Bible study, I recommend you only read for 15 minutes of that so that you have 15 minutes that you also have allocated just to let it soak in, to think on what you read. Maybe you can take some notes. Maybe you can pray about what you read. Or you can start with prayer and then read. You can you know, do that. Or you can pray and then read. And then, but take 50% of the time that you've got allotted. Read. Then meditate. Think about it. Fill your mind with that thing. That's the big difference between biblical meditation and Eastern transcendental meditation. Transcendental meditation that people get involved in uh, is an exercise to empty your mind. And that is kind of the way mind came equipped. So I don't really have to get very far to get that. The Bible talks about that when he says meditate on these things in Philippians 4. He says give your mind over totally to... So when you're reading something, to give your mind totally. to Don't let the TV be on. Don't let anybody call you in that moment. Don't talk to anybody else. Just let that be there. 50-50. And you say, well, I don't have a half hour. If you've got five minutes, spend two and a half minutes reading and two and a half minutes thinking. Reflect. But that's not enough because not only does, does he say reflect in the mirror of what it is you actually are, be honest with yourself, let God tell you what's true, but he says also, it's time to do it. Let me ask you, brethren, a question. Who here has been in the Lord's church for more than 20 years? Raise your hand. More than 30. More than 40. I think so too. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's, let's do something that we're not used to doing. In the years that you've been in the church, if you're 20 or more, have you noticed there has never in one year, maybe not even one month, there has never been a period of time where somebody wasn't encouraging you to learn more about God's Word? Have you noticed that? Is that okay? Is that right? I think so. But let me encourage you to do something altogether different. Take two weeks of your life and just try to do the stuff you already know. Quit trying to pile stuff on that you haven't learned yet. Quit trying to fill your head with more biblical facts and more biblical truths and just do the stuff you know to do. 
Because what happens is we develop a cycle where we delude ourselves. Do not be deceived. He says twice in this text. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're growing simply by learning new facts. That's not growth. That's learning. Learning is key to growth. And I'm not going to dispute that. But I'm going to tell you something. If you satisfy yourself by being the most biblically knowledgeable person in your circle of association, but you do not apply those things and you're not being molded and shaped and changed and gradually altered by the things that you're reading and those things are happening day after day after day after day, you're not maturing, you're not growing, you may be swelling. Excuse me, I hope that didn't hit you all. You know there's a difference between growing and swelling, right? I, I thought I stopped growing when I was 18. And we have a, my mom and dad's basement. I go running down the stairs all my life. I go running down the stairs and I'm in the basement. Well, after we got married, uh, I, I was 21. And I kept coming back home to mom and dad's house and I'd run down the stairs. And the year I turned 21, I came back from preaching someplace, ran down the same stairs. There was no new, no new construction, no different carpet. The only thing that was different apparently was me. I nearly knocked myself off going down those, knocked myself out. I hit a thing that I've cleared many times, and it's the same visit. I noticed that where the vent was real low in that basement, where I used to be able to just clear it, now it was. So I was really surprised to find out I had grown. After 18, that was amazing. Then we got married. I wore a pair of jeans like on Monday of our honeymoon. And I tried to put that same pair of jeans on on Friday and they were really tight. When we got married, and she's here, so I'm not going to lie to you about this. I was in great shape. I had a waist. A waist. Can you imagine? It was there. And in such a short time, I wasn't growing. I was swelling. It's a big difference, isn't there? My, how you've grown. When you've got a good friend that says that and then pats your belly, they don't mean that. They mean, you got fat. That's usually what they're saying. These things have to be implemented. They've got to be done God does not give us these 66 books to inform us. He gave us these 66 books to change us. He loves us and He wants to help us. Kyle, how much time we got? Good grief. All right, so here's some signs that your maturity is developing. They're right here in chapter 1. Number 1, when He says... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He said, you need to profit from your problems. And that's so foreign to us. Man, we've gone way out of our way in our culture to avoid pain and discomfiture. We've done everything we can to keep that from happening. we got a whole, a whole field of medical pursuit that's pain management. We just mustn't feel pain. And what the New Testament says is that you need to embrace that pain. That pain will give you things that comfort cannot. That growing happens through this and you profit from the problems you have. And he says you need to rejoice when that happens. And here's the big difference. When you go through trouble, does it make you better or does it make you bitter? There's only one letter difference. And you know what the letter is? 
Ah, I make all the difference. You can have the exact same stimulus as 10 other people. And if you've decided to be bitter because of that instead of, well, how do I need to get better? What is this going to do for me? What is my new circumstance like and how can I glorify God in this way that's different than it was before? That is what you've got to think. Secondly, you've got to make your request. It's one of the few things in the New Testament where God doesn't qualify it with anything. It just says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. In other words, he'll lay it on you. Now, if you want that to be turbocharged, combine that prayer with a study of Proverbs. It will blow your mind. And then you need to relax. You need to let God get to work on you. Uh, friends, I am all about pushing. I'm all about driving yourself. I believe in that. Um, I used to lift weights. That's the only way you get big muscles is by pushing, driving yourself. But friends, we've got to get rid of the idea that I can make myself into something God wants me to be. He has to make me into something. I've got to quit thinking so hard about I got to make and I got to cause and I got to put my shoulder to the wheel. I've got to grind. I've got to make. Listen. I've got to be open to whatever he's got planned. He makes the waves. I just ride them. And so we're out in this big ocean of humanity. And we're taking these paddles and we're trying to make waves. And we're like, okay, you get up on. Here, Kyle, I'm going to make a wave. You get on your surfboard and ride it. And we, we get this little, and then it's real disappointing. But if we'll let God make the waves, if we'll be open to the idea that there's something can happen, and I'm going to pray for that, and I'm going to think about that, that he can do that. Relax. Let Him lay it on you. Let Him pour it out. Let Him give to all the things that He's promised in the way that He promised to give it. Secondly, you'll start seeing that you're beating temptation. When you are maturing, you'll start seeing that you're no longer giving it. Now, let's be realistic. Number one, everybody's going to be tempted. Nobody is perfect. It is not sinful to be tempted. Are we all on the same page so far? You are going to be tempted and it's not a sin to be tempted. You are going to be tempted. You are going to fail and you're going to make mistakes. And those are sins. And nobody doesn't make mistakes. If you believe otherwise, look at 1 John 1 verses 8 to 10. You've got to be realistic first of all. And then you have to be responsible. You've got to say, part of what's going on here is exclusive to me. I can blame other people. I can blame my parents. I can blame my culture. I can, I can just say how awful this world is. and I can, I can say how terrible this person is treating me. I can do all of that. But when I get down to it, I've got to accept responsibility for my part in these things. It is my desires that draw me away. And that's what the devil uses. He uses those kinds of things to get to me. So I've got to be ready by understanding myself. You're drawn away by your own desires and enticed. So do you know what your own desires are? Do you know what kinds of things you want that you shouldn't want? Because I can tell you somebody does. Do you know who knows? The devil knows. He's been watching you real close. He's made a good study of you. And he knows what your desires are. And you can deny it. You can say, no, I don't, I don't want to do anything unrighteous. I don't want to do anything bad. I don't have any appetite for evil whatsoever. That's a lie. You've developed an appetite. Look. Donuts are bad for you. There is almost no nutritional value in a donut. But there's very little in this world I'd rather put in my mouth. I love donuts. A lot of emotional value. A lot of emotional value. Now see, 
We can eat donuts together, brother. That's what I'm talking about. Warms the heart. It widens the gut. It warms the heart. There's, there's so many things that you can say about donuts. But I can tell you something. I have to be honest with myself and say the reason I have an appetite for donuts is because one day someone said, would you like a donut? And I said, I'll give that a try. If I had never tasted one, I wouldn't know what I was missing it by turning them down. But I can tell you right now, I've got an appetite for them. And the devil knows the things that you have an appetite for. Whether it's your temper, or it's lust, or it's gossip. You've got an appetite for something. Maybe many somethings. And he knows what they are. You've got to be ready to, def- uh, to defend against those things. Because he's going to use deception to get to you. He knows what to do and he's not above dirty tricks to get you to disobey God. So finally, in reference to temptation, you've got to refocus. Now, I want to take, I want to take your attention over here to uh, this part right here in verse 17 and verse 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift. Let me, let me tell you one of the reasons that we struggle so mightily with, with temptation. The reason we lose so often against temptation is because we let that be the thing that we're thinking about. If we will refocus our minds to be positive, we're so negative. We've got this in our minds that just because uh, 1 John 1 verses 8 through 10 says, if anyone says he hasn't sinned or doesn't sin, he's a liar, truth's not in him, you need to confess your sins, etc., that we somehow have got this negative and cynical sort of view that this pessimistic, you know, it's just always going to fail. We're always going to have a problem. That didn't work and we tried that and this is not going to work either. And the world we live in. <laughs> he says every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So what do I need to think about? Instead of thinking about how I'm being tempted, how I'm being tried, all the difficulties of life and the things that are being put on me by the devil, what I need to think about is, what has God done for me today? I'm going to count my blessings. I'm going to think about what God has done for me today. Every breath that I've taken, every benefit that I experience, every blessing that is mine that I can say, this was my experience, that was God. And if I count those blessings, I find something happening to my mind. And then I start thinking about who are the people that God has put in my life that are a blessing to me? Who are the people? My wife. My, your spouse may be a great blessing to you. They may be a tremendous hindrance. I do not know. Mine's a great help. But the people who are in your life who are part of the church, the people who are in your life who've been kind to you, the people who are helpful, the people who taught you things that you didn't know before, God put those people in your life. Very exciting. I, see, that's, that's the attitude we need to have right there. <laughs> Come into every room screaming and hollering. It's very exciting. Because the positive things that help us are the things we need to be focused on. You can focus on negative things. It takes nothing but a fool to point out how things aren't working. Any idiot can point out how you're failing. Anybody can see your mistakes. It takes a completely different mindset to focus on what God has done that's good. And when you get to that spot, you start thinking right. If you're not thinking right, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. That is the way your brain starts going. If you'll let the word feed it, if you'll let God add to it, if you'll focus on what's good about it and what is good in your life, he can change you.
and you're on your road to maturity. What a rich blessing that is. Is it better to be mature or immature? Last thought, and I'll quit. I'm out of time. I'm aware. We live in a youth worship culture. We love youth. We think the youth is wonderful. So, we have procedures. Tighten the skin. And it doesn't really make people look young so much as it makes them look Asian. Have you noticed that? It pulls everything back. We got procedures that are going to suck all that old fat out. You know what I mean? The fat that you get when you get old, you, sometimes you just, there's, there's going to be some there. It's just, but young people don't have it, right? It's, that's old fat. I don't mean like you've had a long time. I mean, you get it because you get old. Saggy skin. We get them lotions and creams, man. We got to get that stuff on there. And it sort of it tightens it up. It makes you look young. And we've worshipped youth to the tune that somehow we think it's better to be immature. So it's a little better to be rebellious and stupid than it is to be obedient and wise. We have worshipped at the throne of the youth culture so much that we are now mistaking immaturity for improvement. Have you noticed this crazy trend that happened that all the young people start getting tattoos and then all the old people are getting tattoos? I'm like, I don't even know how that works. I mean, you get an eagle on your shoulder when you're 20. It is a vulture by your 40s. You get a, you get a little dolphin on your ankle, and it's a beluga whale by the time you're in your 50s. I don't understand any of that. But what is that about? I want to be young. I want to look young. I want to youth. Embrace your gray hair. The Proverbs tells us, there's glory in the silver crown if it's found in the way of righteousness. Embrace it. Love it. Because although the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And you're getting better every step you take if maturity is your goal. Thank you so much. I'm excited about our time together.